Hi, welcome to the podcast. This is Locathor's audio-only Let's Plays. You may have noticed that I didn't start with the throat-clearing sound, as is the tradition of the Daniel K's audio-only Let's Play podcast. Today, we're doing an audio-only podcast according to an even earlier style. Back in the day, even before Daniel K started his show, there was a podcast called Clash of the Typins, starring Jenny Paladna and Ryan Veter. The format of the show was that one person would type in commands to a text adventure and then read the responses from the game, while the other person on the show, uh, including possibly a guest, would say what should be typed to the game. Generally, the author of the game would be the driver, but I think sometimes they played a game that wasn't authored by either the one of the two regulars or the guests that they had that week. But they had a bunch of different guests, so most of the time they were able to get the actual author of the different um, interactive fictions and or text adventures that they played. Uh, the show is no longer in production, but it's all available still for download, and I'll put that in the show notes. Today we're playing a game called A Rope of Chalk. It's billed as being edited by Ryan Veter rather than written by Ryan Veter, sort of because of the narrative of how the game is presenting itself. But either way, Ryan Veter did make it, and they entered it into IF Comp 2020, and you can play it yourself for free. Again, that's also going to be in the show notes. If you do want to play the game yourself, and I think that you should play the game yourself, it's a fun game, it's not, not hard or anything, then you should stop now and play the game and then listen to this episode. Because if you've listened to this episode, then you'll like hear all the answers and stuff that would be no good. It would sort of spoil, spoil the time. If you do not want to play it yourself, listen on and we'll have a great time. I recorded my first playthrough of the game and then I edited it down a little bit to remove some of the verbal stumbling while I read it but I haven't taken out all of the sort of command stumbling where I didn't know what to do right away. A Rope of Chalk, an account of the disastrous sidewalk chalk tournament of August 27, 2011. A note from the editor. It looks as though this account will finally be published in 2020, not long after the ninth anniversary of the incident in question. You should expect some explanation for my having taken so long, especially considering how insufferably coy I've been about the story's eminent release on so many occasions. I have no grounds to blame any of my informants for the delay, neither can I produce any excuse for my own negligence, so all I can give you is an apology. Sorry. As I took my sweet time compiling my notes and the incident itself became more and more obscured in the fog of the past, a vague, niggling concern grew more and more distinct. The accuracy of my report was becoming vulnerable to lapses of memory, misinterpretations, and transcription errors of the mind. My own mind, and those of my informants. I began to second-guess all my data, searching for corroborations that did not exist, or else finding the verification I wanted and then doubting my secondary source. I became discouraged. I did that thing you see in movies where I shoved all my papers off my desk in a rage. I stared down from my window at a rainy city, and I contemplated the nature of reality. I couldn't continue my work until I had made a deal with myself. I would set aside any commitment to recreating these strange events as they had really happened. I would concern myself only with the faithfulness to the statements of my informants, to the facts of their experience, rather than to the truth. Now my path was clear. Now my goal was attainable. 
As I said, I can offer no excuse for this extremely overdue publication, and the preceding statements should not be so construed. I only wanted to tell you all that so that I could tell you this. The narrative compiled here purports to reflect only the recollections of the individuals involved. By continuing, you concede that I, the editor, bear no responsibility for the fallacious representation of any objective fact associated with this narrative. Furthermore, you swear or affirm that you will not issue to the editor or publicly report any corrections or recriminations concerning this narrative's accuracy, geographical, historical, medical, meteorological, or otherwise. Do you consent to this? And here we have a text prompt, so I can type yes, no. I can actually type anything I want, but I probably would type yes or no. I'm going to type no, just to be cheeky. It says noted. The game session has ended. Good way to end the game. Let's just uh, refresh the page. I'm not going to read the whole thing again, but this time we'll type yes. Thank you. Please press any key and we'll begin. Judges table. Subsection one. You are covered in sweat. Your clothes cling to you like someone else's moist hands and your skin feels like someone else's skin. Hina is speaking, but you're only aware of your own nauseating body. Someone interrupts Hina. You guys need a drink? It's Natalie, wheeling her cumbersome old cooler up to the judge's table, saving you the energy it would take to croak out a plea for help. She produces three bottles of water. Hina and Alec chug theirs down desperately, and you follow suit, with no concern for how undignified you must look. A cold, wet trickle runs over your chin, down your neck, then the bottle is empty. Then, finally, you can think clearly. A Rope of Chalk, edited by Ryan Veter. Release 1. Serial number 201110. In form 7, build 6M62, I6 slash V6.34, Lib 6 slash 12N. Judges table. The softball field's aluminum bleachers offer a meager amount of shade, so this is where Hina decided the judges should sit while the artists work. Hina and Alec are sitting at opposite ends of the table. Your spot is in the middle. The sidewalk, the canvas of the sidewalk chalk tournament, runs west and east. Before Hina can get back to what she was saying, Natalie starts in. I came over to let you know, one of the artists has a problem with another artist's art. Hina summons enough willpower to roll her eyes. Who exactly? Jessica and Xavier. Jessica is the one who wanted me to tell on Xavier. She wanted a judge to come down and make a ruling. Hina turns toward you. Lane, can you take care of this? You nod without thinking. It's too hot to think. Come on, I'll go with you. Natalie waves you over, and a tiny spike of encouragement flickers in your overheated heart. I'm going to type in go, N-A-T-H-A-L-I-E. Wait, no, we don't, we're, not supposed to, we're not supposed to go to Natalie. I'm supposed to go to go Jessica. You can't see that anywhere nearby. Stand. But you aren't in anything at the moment. Okay, I thought I was sitting in a chair. Follow Natalie. That's not a verb I recognize. Look. Natalie stands off to the side. Listen, Natalie. I only st understood you as far as wanting to... Oh, I spelled it wrong. Listen, N-A-T-H-A-L-I-E. Hmm. I spelled Natalie right. East? Uh, so now we're at a shed. The sidewalk stops well before it reaches the equipment shed, leaving a long stretch of sand in between. Beyond the shed is the intersection of 1st Avenue and 2nd Street, an impassable wasteland. An empty bucket sits near the shed. Natalie follows you. Get bucket. Why not? The bucket might belong to Hina, or the honors department, or the softball field. It's not yours, that's for sure. All right, well, then let's go west. Now we're at the judge's table, and let's go west again. Victoria's space. The sidewalk bends south and east here at the edge of the parking lot. 
Victoria is hunched over her square of sidewalk, filling in the details of a huge twisting python. A plastic container is nestled in the grass nearby. Natalie follows along. All right, so I guess we can go south? Rachel's space. The sidewalk continues north and south between the softball field and a steep hill. Rachel has been assigned a square of cement near a steel bike rack. At the moment, Rachel is stretched out on the grass, soaking up the sun, eyes hidden behind huge sunglasses. Her phone lies in the grass next to her. Her chalk drawing, a simple slogan, is already finished. Natalie comes up alongside, dragging her water cooler behind her. Oh, she's coming along with the water cooler the whole time. All right, so we went south, so we're going to keep going south. We're looking for uh, Jessica. No, let me scroll up. We're, yeah, we're looking for Jessica. So south of Rachel's space is Jonathan's space. The sidewalk turns from north to east at the border of a small wooded area. Jonathan is sitting on a wooden balance beam, contemplating his drawing. His sidewalk square has been divided into a grid of hexagons overlaid on a bird's eye view of a snow-covered island. Natalie comes up alongside, dragging her water cooler behind her. So we guess we can go east. Still looking for Jessica. Faye's space. There's a run-down old drinking fountain along this east-west stretch of sidewalk between the trees and the softball field. Faye's chalk art is a complicated piece with maybe a dozen characters. And somehow, she's already almost finished. Natalie is right behind you. So we can keep going east. Jessica's space. Here, finally, there's a bench where the sidewalk turns from west to south. The picturesqueness of the spot contrasts dramatically with torn up 2nd Street just a little ways to the east. Jessica is working on a curved block of pavement, drawing a diverse and vibrant array of flowers. Natalie follows along. You're already thirsty again. Can I drink? Drink the water bottle. The bottle feels too light. Oh, it's empty. That's no good. If I type fill bottle, it says that seems unnecessary. So, obviously... <sighs> okay. Let's see. Listen, Jessica. I only stood you as far as listen to Jessica. You hear nothing out of the ordinary. Okay. Talk to Jessica. Jessica looks up and wipes some sweat from her forehead. Yes, I have three options. What? How are you? What's the problem here? And well, see you later. I'm going to pick what's the problem here. I'm really sorry, she says, but I don't think Xavier's piece is appropriate. And since it's associated with the honors program, I just think... What exactly is inappropriate about it? Asked Natalie. Well, you should probably see it for yourself, she says, gesturing further down the sidewalk. Oh no, more walking. Option three, see you later. Okay, but please make Xander change his design. Let's see, so we can go south. This is Xavier's space. This is where there would be a crosswalk for 2nd Street, if there were a 2nd Street. There's a button for the crosswalk, but there is no crosswalk. You feel a little hemmed in by the torn up street to the east and all the trees to the west and south. The sidewalk only goes north from here. Xavier is kneeling over his drawing, hard at work. Natalie follows along. Look, drawing. Oh my, on the sidewalk is a curvaceous woman with red skin, goatish horns, and very little clothing. Her lips are parted sultrily, as if she's about to whisper something to you. Your throat feels tight. More interesting than a bunch of flowers, that's for sure, says Natalie. This certainly feels slightly inappropriate. Can we talk to Xavier? While you're trying to think of a way to engage, Natalie steps in. Hey Xavier, nice succumbus. Thanks! He's in the middle of adding white highlights to make it look like her skin, there's a lot of skin, is reflecting the sun. Did you know Jessica complained about it? 
I know she didn't seem to like it when she was over here earlier, but what I've learned is people are always going to have opinions. Well, I brought a judge over to make a judgment call. Finally, Natalie steps aside and presents you. Xavier spreads his arms and presents his mostly naked demoness. What do you think? Your head hurts. I'm going to type, it's fine. That's not a verb I recognize. I like it. You only stand you as far as wanting to take inventory. Okay. If I talk to Xavier, let's see. Ah, so what do you say, judge? Well, she's scary. I'll take it, says Xavier. But you're not going to disqualify him or anything, right? Natalie asks. I'll, I think I should confer with the other judges. Natalie scoffs. Xavier shrugs. I guess now I'm going to go north and then west. If I go to table, go to table is not a verb I recognize. Okay. So west and then north and then north, east. Now we're at the judge's table. Hina and Alec are sitting at either end of the table waiting for you. Talk to Hina. Well, Hina asks as you approach, you open your mouth. Sheesh, Hina. Can't you see she's about to fall over? Alex stands up and guides you to your chair. You can make your report sitting down. This isn't the Marines. Hina waits with clenched teeth for you to sit. So what did Xavier draw that Jessica had a problem with? It was a, you gesticulate weakly, searching for the right words. Natalie cuts in. A big sexy demon with her boobs hanging out. You nod and your body wobbles beneath the weight of your head. Hina slaps her own forehead. For Pete's sake, Xavier... Okay, here's what we're going to do. But her voice fades away as you slump forward and lose consciousness. Press any key to continue. We passed out. Behind the bleachers. Subsection 2. Lane's head thumps against the table, and you leap to your feet in alarm. Hina loses her cool for maybe an eighth of a second. Then she grabs Lane by the shoulders. Did she faint, you ask, before you realize that yes, obviously she fainted. We need to get her on her back, Hina says. Before you can make your legs move, Natalie glares at you and steps in to assist. The two of them position Lane in the grass. Hina leans down to check her breathing. Behind the bleachers. The judge's folding table is set up behind the bleachers out of the sun on a strip of bike trail leading east and west. You stand by uselessly, your blood pounding in your ears. You should do something. All right. I, that is, the main, the protagonist fainted. Just to, to sort of summarize what happened, if that wasn't clear. The protagonist fainted, but now we have a new perspective. We were playing as Lane, and then she fainted. Now we appear to be playing as Alec. Hina is saying stuff, and Natalie is saying stuff, and Alec is the only person who's not saying stuff. So that must mean we're Alec. Well, if I go east, you can't just walk off. Hina probably wants you to help somehow. Help Hina. I only said you as far as wanting to help. Lay down lane. Move lane. Lane is fine right there. Let's just look. The judge's folding table is set up behind the bleachers out of the sun on a strip of bike trail leading east and west. Lane is lying on the grass just off the path with Hina petting her forehead and Natalie keeping her feet elevated. Give water to lane. Nobody cares about your empty bottle. Cool, cool. Well, there is a walkthrough if we are stuck I'm, let's, let's type in, let's say we're carrying an empty water bottle. I don't know. We apparently can't help with the empty water bottle. All right. I'm going to open the walkthrough. Talk to Hina and she'll try to, oh, talk to Hina. All right. Talk to Hina. That was not what I'd call obvious. Should I call 911? You ask. Hina doesn't look up. 
I'm pre-med. I know what to do when someone faints, she grumbles. And I have street smarts, adds Natalie. Then what should I do? Hina closes her eyes and takes a deep breath. Get a bucket of water and erase Xavier's demon lady. I don't have time to argue with him. Tell him he can start over and draw something more appropriate, or if he wants, he can just go home. Natalie produces a strangled groan of protest. You just nod. Now we can go east, and we can get bucket. We pick up the bucket. Alec cares a lot less than Lane about who might own this bucket. Now we're going to go west. We're behind the bleachers. Can we fill the bucket from the water thing? The spigot is over back at the equipment shed. Oh, okay. I thought we could fill it from the from the water bottles. Let's see. So we're, we go east to the equipment shed, and then we can fill bucket. You can't turn on the faucet. It doesn't have a handle. There's a square hole where you're supposed to insert a key, which you don't have. Hopefully Hina has it. All right, we'll go west. Talk to Hina. What is it? Sorry, I need the key thing. For the shed? For the water? Hina sighs impatiently. Well, this part isn't exactly your fault, is it? She finds the key in her pockets and hands it over to you without saying anything. East. All right, so we're at the shed. We're going to fill bucket. You place the bucket beneath the spigot. Stick the key in the hole on the top and twist it. Clear water pulls out and splashes noisily in the bottom of the bucket. The resonance is deeply satisfying. You almost feel a little sleepy. As the bucket begins to overflow, you snap back to awareness and turn off the faucet. You pull out the key. You don't want to lose that. Then you pick up the bucket. It's heavy. Gosh. Okay, you can do this. We're going to go uh, west and give key to Hina. Let's try that. You'd rather not bother Hina with the key. All right, well, then we're going to go west again. Parking lot. Victoria's sitting in the grass, her head in her hands. Behind her on the bike path is her finished entry, a giant snake. Curving around from the east, the trail heads south between the softball field and the overgrown hillside. Jeez, it's hot. South? Bike rack. Rachel's lying on the grass next to her entry, abandoning herself to the merciless sun. Her eyes are hidden behind ridiculous sunglasses. An empty bike rack stands on the other side of the trail. At the foot of the hill, the trail runs north and south. Something shrieks in pain. Was that a bird? Rachel doesn't react. Did you hear that, you asked? Hear what? South again? Balance beam. Jonathan gives you a dark look before turning back down to his work. The bike trail curves from north to east, skirting the edge of the woods. A dry, mercifully cool breeze wafts over you from out of the forest, but it doesn't last long. All right, so we can go east. As you continue past Jonathan's drawing, you hear a voice behind you. Jerk. You whirl around. What did you say? Jonathan looks up. I didn't say anything. Are you sure? Jonathan blinks. Um, well, pretty sure, I guess. Let's try going east again. Drinking fountain. Faye is sitting uncomfortably in the grass across the trail from a drinking fountain. It looks like the sun has gotten the better of her, but her chalk art is finished. A lurid homage to the nightmare before Christmas. The bike trail runs east and west between the woods and the outfield fence. So we're going to keep going east. Bench. Jessica has crawled across her field of flowers, sobbing softly. Oh. We don't even, we don't have the prompt. I think, I guess we're supposed to push a key to continue. The bucket falls from your grasp. <gasps> and we push the key to continue. And you run to her, fall, for, fall to her side, touch her cheek. What's wrong? Life is wrong. The world is wrong. Our sorrow, which is the smallest portion of human misery, is too much to bear. We can't fix anything. We can't help anymore. We can only cling to each other and weep. And cold water crawls over the pavement, sinking into our clothes. Please press any key to continue. Oh, the little... Okay, I guess we can do a thing. That was a, a weird presentation there because it didn't tell us that we were waiting for any key to continue, but that's fine. Now it says the cave along the top as like the room description. 
And then it says, subsection three, the idea is not that the world itself is merely an illusion. That's stupid. What's really going on is this. Reality is out there, obviously. But there's this veil of appearance that inhibits our ability to experience reality. When you manage to push through this veil, you'll realize that in fact reality is extremely real and you're almost there. You can feel the surface of the world melting away beneath your fingers. Zero dot the cave. Ancient signatures painted on smooth, damp stone. Enormous machinery thrumming peacefully, blowing warm, wet wind over your face. An engine screeches to life and breaks your concentration. There are people in here talking over the fans, walking around like they own the place. They're getting into their cars and they're leaving. Why are they leaving? Exits east. I guess we're going to go east? One, the deluge. In a matter of seconds, you are soaked. Your clothes cling to you like someone else's moist hands, and tingles of intense sensation ripple over your skin. You are supremely, ecstatically aware of your own hot, wet body. But everybody's in a hurry, hurry, hurry to get inside the parking ramp. What for? It's just water, you guys. People are idiots. Exits west-east. Some sort of creature is shivering in an alcove, trying to keep dry. Listen to creature. Something is making it hard to hear things. Something you don't want to acknowledge. All right, we're going to go east again, I guess. Two, the beast. He growls and curses and struggles mightily against his fetters, but it's hopeless. He cannot move. He will never escape. Bound so tightly with tension and anger, he approaches the state of rigor mortis. Exits west, north. All right, we will continue north. Three, the fortress. A massive castle looms before you, its walls and towers barring further progress. How original. Exits south and north. So I guess we're going to go north if it says we can go north. You can't go any further. The fortress stands in your path. Enter fortress. The fortress is much too small for you to step inside, and when you make the attempt, you end up stepping on the festival grounds and destroying them. <gasps> well, now can we go north? You can't go any further. The fortress stands in your path. Take fortress. You can't take that with you. Smash fortress. You stomp on the southeast tower, reducing it to a pile of sand. <gasps> The fortress is a sandcastle. Go around fortress. You're not currently seeing whatever that is. Okay. Smash fortress. You bring your fist down on the south wall. It crumbles immediately. Smash fortress. You kick the gatehouse, splattering it across the street. Can we go north yet? All right. We're going to... We can't. Smash fortress. You smush the southwest tower into rubble. People passing by seem to think you're doing something wrong. They clearly don't understand how important it is for you to get through this castle. Smash Fortress. You destroy the flimsy blacksmith's shop with a single kick. Smash Fortress. You rip out a big chunk of the east wall and toss it down the road. Smash Fortress. You push the stables into the ground. Now it's just wet sand. Can we go north? Nope, not yet. Smash Fortress. You pummel the wizard's tower into dust. At last, you've cleared a path through to the rest of the street. North. Four. Eruption. Liquid fire pours out of the smoking crater, down the mountainside, toward the doomed village. It's too late to escape. Too late to rescue anybody. Everything is melting. Uh, south and west, we're going to go west. Five. The throne. Papa is seated in majesty on his golden throne, surrounded by a golden cord and a veil of black curtains. Continue west. Six. The wrecked ship. Light plays strangely on the broken planks and spars littering the ocean floor. The shattered hull is rotting all around you. 
At your feet, a skeletal sailor grins idiotically in a siren's embrace. East and north. North we go. Seven. The gate. The warm rain is gone. Now frigid air conditioning flows all around you, and you shiver like one near death. The vestibule of the honor center is a liminal space, not quite within or without. Nothing good ever happens in liminal spaces. Exit south. Oh, Hina is here. Talk to Hina. Hey, Hina, you say, very casual, very friendly. She'll be cool about this. It didn't work. Hina stomps towards you, demonic flames burning in her eyes. Where the heck have you been, she snarls. Options are? Well, you can't tell her you were getting high in the parking ramp. Oh, no, she already knows. She does not. Calm down. No, look how angry she is. She definitely knows. And she has no idea. Just act normal and she won't be able to tell. I'm going to go with five. I was taking a little break. You were gone for like two hours. I, I guess I lost track of time. Very normal response. You're doing great. Hina's forehead wrinkle puckers. It's your sand sculpture contest. I would expect you to take some responsibility for it. I took plenty of responsibility for it. That's why I needed a break. Well, while you were taking a break, the rest of the arts committee talked it over, and we don't think we should do sand sculpture again next year. Options are... They can't do that. They can't cancel my event without consulting me. Just because it rained? I'll complain to the faculty advisor. And what was her name again? Let's see. Let's see. I'm going to do just because it rained. Option three. You understand that it's not going to rain like this next year, right? It's not about the weather. We all agreed that sand sculpture was too expensive and dangerous. Somebody got cut with a shovel pretty bad. You gave up because one guy had an accident? No, she steals herself. We also heard from a lot of participants that it was too much work. Shoveling all that sand and pouring all that water is really exhausting. And it's supposed to be fun. A sudden pearl of thunder punctuates Hina's treachery. Options are, it is fun. These people are just too stupid and lazy to appreciate it. What are they going to do instead? Finger painting? Well, they can do it without me. I'm going to go with option three. So what are you going to do next year? Finger painting? Sidewalk chalk? Hina pauses. Finger painting sounds kind of cool, actually. You try hard not to scream. This is supposed to be an honors program. We're supposed to hold up a higher standard than the rest of these idiots. We're supposed to be elevating people's consciousness. Hina looks at you carefully. She's examining your eyes. Uh-oh. Natalie, are you feeling okay? Options are. She knows. She's going to report you. There's still time to deny it. And no, just own up to it. I'm going to say one. She knows. I'm fine. I'm just stressed out. Your pupils are dilated. Did you hit your head? No, I'm just... You pull out your baggie. I was taking some of these to relax. It's fine. Hina examines the pills. Hey, why are there only two left? Is this... Oh my gosh. Episcopacidin? Oh my gosh. Friends, I'm going to have to Google how to pronounce this word. There... Okay. So here's a fun fact, friends. There is a medication within this story. And to find what the proper Greek pronunciation of this, I Googled it. And there is exactly one Google result for this medication's word. And it is this very game that we are playing now. So if I pronounce this wrong, Ryan Veter's on the hook for this one. Episcophagitin? Is this Episcophagitin? She asks. You roll your eyes. Nobody calls it that. 
The outside door of the vestibule opens, and Alec blusters in. Hey, Hina, he says cheerily. Look, I found Natalie. Press any key, continue. Your rate for destroying artwork is 31.05%. Killed him. Subsection 4. In eternal winter's grasp rests icy Kaledhem, where it was raised, snow-heavy Bryceburg, throne of Kerth, bearer of the pallid crown. Long has Kerth reigned in peace. Long have his enemies waited to rise up in war against them. Episco Faziton, commonly known as Joan, or Classvac, citation needed, is a psychoactive drug primarily used for recreational purposes. Its effects include altered perceptions and sensory hallucinations, often accompanied by intense changes in mood, such as euphoria, depression, and paranoia. A reader's note, I have no idea how to pronounce some of these words, because they look like Welsh or something, or perhaps Norse of some sort. So if I got any of those wrong, again, Ryan Vita's on the hook for that one. You should have written it in Esperanto. I can read that. I'm going to look. I'm not sure. Well, it just says the same. Oh, wait, wait. It says mostly the same thing, except now it's. Oh, OK. So in, it says it's, the text is slightly different. In eternal winter's grass rests icy Kaledhem, where was raised snow-heavy Bryceburg, throne of Kerth, bearer of the pallid crown. Long has Kerth reigned in peace. Long have his enemies waited to rise up in war against him. That's the same. This is where it starts being different. Episcofacetin is usually consumed orally in tablet form. It is also dissolved in water to counteract its dehydrating properties. However... Continued ingestion of episcofacetin-laced water has been shown to increase the likelihood of syncope, fainting, hyponatria, and other possibly life-threatening side effects. Now, note uh, there are, in it, I said earlier, citation needed. In these paragraphs, there's a bunch of little bracketed numbers like you'd see on a Wikipedia article. So I'm going to look again. We get the same opening sentences about uh, in eternal winter's grasp and long has Kareth reigned in peace. And then it continues, although it lacks the electrolytes necessary to restore sodium concentration, drinking unadulterated water has been shown to reduce the hallucinogenic effects of episcofacetin, as well as treat dehydration. Citation needed. I'm going to drink water. You can't see that here. Or maybe there's a problem with those weird letters. Try thinking about it without using any weird letters. I didn't use any weird letters. I typed in drink water with a space. Everything I type is as normal as possible. Drink? What do you want to drink? Drink the water. So I gave the same message about I can't see anything with the weird letters. All right, I'm going to look again. It has the opening thing about Kirth and my, your head hurts. Look. Episcofetacin is a chiral compound and is produced as a racemic mixture. Differences in kinetics have been noted between the two enantiomers, with the R enantiomer having a shorter elimination, half-life, and greater excretion than the S enantiomer. All right, we're going to look again. Your face is sore. There are several methods for synthesizing episcopacitin via various intermediates. 108, 109, 110, 111. The original synthesis described by Hanmano, 1989, involves brominating caridol to dimethyrpyrimidinol bisulfate and then reacting this adduct with trimethylamine. 112, 113. 
Episcofacetin is known to be metabolized by two main metabolic pathways. One, O-dimethylination, followed by cathecol O-methyltransferase, COMT catalyzed methylation, and or glucorinide slash sulfate conjugation. And two, N, dealkylation, demination, and oxidation to the corresponding benzonic acid derivatives conjugated with glycine. 82. Ryan Veter, I never took a chemistry class or biology class in high school. This is a fact about me that you're getting to learn right now. I took physics twice to get my four science credits. I took normal physics and then AP physics later, and they considered that sufficient. So... I don't know how to say any of this Latin Greek nonsense, so I hope you're happy right about now. In eternal winter's graphs, rest... Okay, that's the same stuff. Let's see. Okay, so the new text is, you need to find a way out of here. Look. The activity of episcofacetin is similar to that of other psychedelic agents. 43. It is an agonist, 44, binding to and activating the serotonin's 5-HT2A receptor with a high affinity, 45. The way in which activating the 5-HT2A receptor gives rise to psychedelic phenomena is still unexplained, but it is likely that it somehow involves excitation of neurons in the prefrontal cortex, 46. Look. A controlled study was undertaken to determine the stability of episcofacetin in urine samples, 85. The concentrations of episcofacetin in urine samples were tracked over time at various temperatures in various types of storage containers at different exposures to different wavelengths of light and at an array of different pH values. These studies demonstrated no significant loss in episcofacetin concentration at 25C for up to four weeks. That's all you can remember. Look again. Okay, so now when I look, it says the, the sort of the standard prefix sentence with no additional text. In eternal winter's grasp rests Kildheim, where was raised snow-heavy Bryceberg, throne of Carith, bearer of the pallid crown. Long has Carith reigned in peace. Long have his enemies waited to rise up in war against him. If I type in drink, I think I'm supposed to be drinking water. Oh. Drink. What did you want to drink? And then I type just water without saying drink water. And it says, you can't see that here. Or maybe this is a problem with those weird letters. Try thinking about it without using any weird letters. I, W-A-T-E-R, Akvo. I don't know what else you want me to say. All right, all right. So if I type look again, it gives me the standard, the standard line. I'm going to type sleep. No, Hina, keep it together. Stay alert. Focus, 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 focus. Okay, okay. Stand. But you aren't in anything at the moment. Okay. Keep it together. That's not a verb I recognize. All right. North. Six are the directions permitted in Kaldheim. Northeast, east, southeast, southwest, west, and northwest are these and no others. East. The sword right of Beardblade and Gildris in the snow-lapped valley Milkas dwelt. Deldir, she was known by men, well thought of by war makers. Can I go east again? Oflek raised this thringing stone when Rokas, his crown bearer, beneath the thring stone was Ulfek crushed when Rokas was by Nogal slain. East. In that direction lies the dark sea, and beyond that lie lands utterly unknown. Are you sure you want to keep going? Maybe? Yes. 
Then you continue on, past the shores of Kaeldheim, across the sharp-toothed sea, over the edge of the world, and then you rise up into the air. Kingdom of Kaeldheim. You are floating above the icy realm of Kaeldheim. You must be very high indeed. You can take in the entire island at a glance. Other lands lie north and east of here, if you remember correctly. Natalie's unsuccessful sand sculpture event took place on August 28, 2010. Today is August 27, 2011. You might be a bit loopy, but you're still lucid enough to do basic math. Natalie has been plotting her revenge for 8,647 days. I'm going to go north. Ron Paul 2012 is the name of the room. Room description is Ron Paul 2012. Hmm. If I go south, does that put me back at the kingdom? Yes. So if I go south, we're back at the kingdom of Kaeldheim. You're floating above the icy realm of Kaeldheim. Other lands lie north and east of here. So we went north, so we'll go east. Your legs feel so heavy, but you have to keep going. Your path seems to stretch out longer and longer with each step. The trail ahead twists and swerves, rolling up and down over sinuous hills, until you finally reach a spindly fence of wrought iron and a crooked stone gate, and a tall man spreading wide his spider-like arms. Greetings, greetings, I'm so pleased that you've joined us, but I should introduce myself, my name is Jack. I have the honor of serving as our little Berg's representative, a cultural ambassador of sorts. And who might you be, my dear girl? It's nice to meet you, Jack, you say without thinking. You're too tired to think. I'm Hina. He takes you by the hand and leads you through the gateway. Well then, Hina, let me welcome you to Halloween Town. Room name, Halloween Town. A yellow moon hangs low over the pumpkin fields and graveyard. The denizens of Halloween Town are out in force, cavorting through the streets and across the countryside, toothy grins on every face. A trick-or-treater named Locke is hiding in an open grave. A little witch girl, Shock, is scurrying through the cemetery, searching for her friends. Dr. Finkelstein is scowling in his wheelchair. He may be the only one not having a good time. The twisting road that skirts the city limits runs east and west. Please stay and have a look around, says Jack. We so rarely have visitors. All right, so we came east. If we go west, that will leave Halloween Town. We'll continue east. Curling flower space. Colors flow and mingle, turquoise into lavender, pale cream into indigo, rolling in fat raindrops down from liquefying petals, drenching the soil, impregnating the dark earth, the deep blackness of the earth. The maiden and her knight lie sinking into melting lilies. To the south and west are other spaces. Listen to maiden. Now that you think about it, you notice a roaring in your ears that is completely unbearable. So you stop thinking about it. All right. So we're going to go, if we can't listen to the maiden, well, let's try listen tonight. Uh, same message. So we'll go south. A cloud of yellow smoke billows over you, stinging your eyes, burning your lungs. You fall to your knees. No, you need to keep going. Get up. Focus. Inferno. Tall tongues of flame line the passage toward the dais where Negahina lounges on her thorny couch. Hot, dry wind whistles through narrow windows. Your only hope of escaping is in returning to the north. You're here, finally, Negahina groans. I've been so frigging bored. Kill Negahina. Negahina starts rolling her eyes before you've even made a move. No, no, no! No, 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 no! You're not going to get anywhere trying to fight me. We're supposed to be friends! Hmm. Friend Negahina. That's not a verb I recognize. 
be friends with Negahina. That's not a verb I recognize. Listen to Negahina. Now that you think about it, you know. Okay, fine. Um, look, the way back is north. Ah, uh, okay. So we can go north. I don't know how we're supposed to interact with Negahina, but I feel like we're supposed to. So I'm going to check the mm, check in the walkthrough. Here you will meet Negahina. When you talk to her, she will explain everything you need to know. Oh, we're supposed to talk to her. Talk to Negahina. You take an uncertain step toward the dais. She waves you closer. Don't be shy. We have a lot of work to do. Options are, who are you and what is this place? I'm going to pick who are you first. Oh, come on. You know exactly who I am. You're not just comfortable with me. Here she uses finger quotes for some reason. So you tried to get rid of me, but it turns out you can't get rid of me. And actually, you don't want to get rid of me. You'll be a lot better off when we start working together. Options are okay, I guess, or I don't know about that. Ah, I don't know about that. How can you put this politely? I'm sorry, but I don't think I feel comfortable accepting a naked devil lady as an element of my psychology. She rolls her eyes. You're being really literal about this, normal Hina. You're a succumbus. You're trying to tell me all my problems are about being repressed, and if I embrace my sexuality, it'll somehow fix everything? Nagahina drags her claws down her face. Oh my gosh, that's not what's going on here at all. Well, maybe you could explain what really is going on here. Gladly. That's what I'm actually here for anyway. It's to friggin' explain things. Let's see, I can pick what is this place. I can ask about one of the places you've been. I can ask about what is going on in general. I can ask, what am I even supposed to be doing here? Or I can stop talking to her. I'm going to ask number three, what is going on in general? Can you just tell me generally what's going on? She cocks her head. I mean, sure, if you want. I feel like you have everything pretty much figured out already. I don't want to waste time explaining stuff you already know. That's very considerate of you. I know, but it's up to you. Do you feel like you need some extra clarification? Yes. I guess it couldn't hurt. She nods. All right, what can I clarify for you? Options are about the sand sculpture event, which I think that we understand, possibly, about when Lane fainted, about Alec, about everyone acting weird, and about the chop drawings. And every I'm going to go with why is everyone acting weird? Option four. What made everyone at the sidewalk chalk tournament start acting so weird? They were all drinking the water Natalie brought, and Natalie friggin' spiked the water with a piscocetaphin to mess with you as revenge. Can she do that? Yes, unless you mean, can she do that legally? No, she can't. But she'll get away with it unless you friggin' do something about it. Okay, okay, geez, I'll do something about it. Negahina presses her palms together, closes her eyes. Sorry I got excited. What else can I tell you about? So the sand sculpture event, which we canceled, and she's laying, no. Natalie is blaming us. Why did Lane faint? Let's find out. Number two. Why did Lane faint? Aha! Well, at first it looked like the heat got to her, but I'm pretty sure it's because she was drinking so many bottles of water that Natalie laced with a piscocetaphin. Because now everyone else has fainted too, and you're having a bunch of vivid hallucinations. Yeah, that tracks. Anything else? What happened to Alec? I don't know. I think it might be that he and Jessica just really love each other, and the piscocetaphin is making them be weird about it. I never thought of Alec as having sincere feelings like that. Well, you can never really know what's going on with another person. You only have access to whatever they present you. You can't really even know yourself, because you're only able to observe yourself using yourself. What? Forget it. Let's talk about something else. Um, reader's note to my friend Sam. 
fine, you win this round. A reader's note to everyone who isn't Sam, Sam and I often have arguments about how much you can truly know another person. And uh, this time, the interactive fiction has taken Sam's side in the argument. So the sand sculpture event, Lane fainted, Alex, everyone acting weird, and the chalk drawings. All right, we're going to ask about the chalk drawings, I guess. What happened to the chalk drawings? Negahina takes a deep breath. It's like this. You're high on a Pisco Fetison from Natalie's water bottles. You're hallucinating. So you're experiencing all the chalk drawings as if they were real, as if you were walking around inside them. Like in Mary Poppins? Sure, kind of. I don't think there was any drug use in Mary Poppins. That's not what I meant. Sorry, I'm just trying to be as clear as possible. Is there anything else you need me to explain? So I think we've finished. So I'm going to hit six for never mind. I think I've got it figured out. Okay, what would you rather talk about? Uh, options are, what is this place? Ask about one of the places you've been. Ask about what is going on in general. What, I, what am I even supposed to be doing here? Or stop talking. Option four, what am I even supposed to be doing here? You don't want Negahina to think you're flailing. So you ask very casually, what do you think I ought to do next? Well, you can't get everyone the help they need while they're hallucinating that they're giants or crows or whatever. You have to dilute the Episco Cetaphin in your system by drinking some non-tainted water. And there's only one place you can get that. The faucet on the equipment shed. Yes, but I don't have the little key thingy. And you're going to have to find the little key thingy. So now we have to find... Alec? Alec has the key thingy. Alec is in Jessica's land. Uh, so we're going to ask about one of the places you've been. What do you want to ask about? We can ask about the place north of Kieldhame. We can ask about the kingdom of Kieldhame. We can ask about Halloween Town. We can ask about the curling flower space, or never mind. The curling flower space, the knight and the maiden, must be Alec and... Okay, so we're going to say never mind. Actually, we'll, we'll ask about the curling flower space. What was that place with all the melting flowers? That's just Jessica's entry. Alec must have spilled his bucket of water on it somehow. Oh, you nod. Negahina squints at you. You did realize that Alec and Jessica are back there, right? Oh, of course I did. You fire back indignantly. Okay, okay. I did. All right, so we're going to say never mind. Okay, what would you rather talk about? Uh, so I'm going to say stop talking to Negahina. I should probably get going, actually. Sure, sure, Negahina nods emphatically. And yeah, if you need anything else, yeah, definitely. Okay, cool, I'll be here. Right. All right, so we're at the Succumbus sidewalk. So if we go north, this puts us in the curling flower space. The maiden and the knight lie sinking into melting lilies. So we want to get key. That isn't here. Or maybe it is here, but there isn't enough here to matter. Or maybe it's not here. But it's here, but it's not in the way it's supposed to be. Look at night. In a tangle of clinging arms lie the maiden and her knight. Together they shed tears enough to dissolve a universe of flowers. The shared sorrow that afflicts their coupled hearts is unknowable. Innumable? It is none of your business. The knight has cast off his helm, has collapsed into the waters of his lady's emerald gown. His armor is already smeared with rust. His left hand isn't pressed against his lady's back, but clutched tight around something. Get something. That isn't here, or maybe... Okay. Look at hand. The knight is clutching his maiden. The knight's left hand is clutching something else. 
Look at left hand. Open left hand. You pull at the gauntlet until the knight's fingers open at last. In his palm lies a tarnished key. You grab it. The empty hand now finds the maiden's back and pulls her tighter against the knight. Lurid. Alright, so if we look, it will remind us which way we can go. If we go, we can go south and west. So south was the demon. So we're going to go west, and then west, and then we're floating. So west was Halloween Town. West again was the kingdom of Kildheim. We're floating above the icy realm of Kildheim. Other lies lands north. So we're going to go north. Ron Paul 2012. North again. Coils of Ahigu. Step no further, Hina Shiroiwa. You have reached the end of your journey. You have wandered into a domain where I alone hold sway. I, the world serpent, Ahigu. Behold my vastness. Here there is no earth, nor sky, only the infinite twisting of my scaled body. No tail have I, nor arms, nor legs, but look upon my face, my deadly fangs, upon the venom that will be your death. No, not yet. I will allow you to live, but you will not continue east into the Hall of Judgment. Turn back, go southwards, and reflect upon your deplorable failure. All right, we're going to go east. Fool, I warned you not to go any further. I have no choice. My jaws close around your hand. Yes, the pain is unbearable. You writhe in agony. Ah, but I will show you some small compassion. My venom will only torture you briefly, and then you will have the strength to stand again. See? You still live. You're welcome. Just don't try it again. I'm going to go east again. Akina, I know you are not so stupid as to try that a second time. Turn around and leave. Walk among the monuments to your failure. Do not... Further test my mercy. All right, I'm going to go east again. Oh, it gives me the same message. Yep, yep. If we keep going east, it just gives us the same message. Uh, try kill snake. A laughable effort. Your blows are as raindrops on my armor of adamant scales. I'm only carrying a key. How do I want to get past this snake? Well, if I have to go, I have to go south? South. If I look in the wrong Paul 2012 square, it just says wrong Paul... <laughs> 2012 again. All right, we're going to go south again. And then uh, east from Kaldheim. The Twisting Road. Let's see. Get. So Jack Skellington is in Halloween Town. I'm going to get Jack. I don't suppose Jack Skellington would care for that. Talk to Jack. Jack takes a seat on a chip sarcophagus and invites you to join him. Now then, what can your tour guide do for you? I'm going to tell him what's going on with me. Option three. Other options were ask him about the town, learn more about him, or say goodbye. Let's see. So we tell Jack what's going on with you. Jack seems nice, but would he really care about your problems? What good to do to burden him with the details of all your troubles? It would be cruel, in fact. It would ruin his week. You breathe a heavy sigh. What's wrong? asked Jack. You try to construct a non-committal answer. I've just been under a lot of stress lately. He nods. He presses his distal phalanges together. Why don't you tell me about it? All right, fine. But where to begin? I can tell him about Lane. I can tell him about Alec. I can tell him about Natalie. Or I can talk to him about the Sidewalk Chalk Tournament. So we'll tell him about Lane first. My friend is in trouble. She fainted. I think somebody put something in her drink. I need to make sure she's okay. Jack slaps his knee. I'm sure you'll be able to help her, Hina. You've given me every reason to believe you're a very capable young woman. Well, that's nice of him to say. And then we have the same set of menus. Let's see. So talk to him about Alec. I found my friend Alec, and he's in pretty bad shape. He described the scene to Jack, and he strokes his mandible thoughtfully. 
You say his girlfriend is there too? I don't know if she's his girlfriend exactly. They can't seem to make up their minds. Then I predict that this will be a valuable bonding experience for the two of them, Jack concludes. Okay, let's tell him about Natalie. There's this girl, Natalie. She was in charge of our arts event last year, and it was, a uh, well, it went very poorly. So this year, I ended up organizing the event instead of her, and I guess she took it personally, because she sabotaged the whole thing. Jack's skull twists into a furious scowl. How dare she treat my friend so shamefully? She must be punished, Hina. Well, I don't know if I have the authority to punish anyone. He leaps to his feet and points a long, bony finger down at you. The Honors Arts event is your responsibility. You alone can bring Natalie to justice. Then he sees you cowering in fear beneath him and composes himself. He sits down, puts a reassuring arm over your shoulder. But I'm sure you'll handle it well, whatever you do. Option four, tell him about the sidewalk chalk tournament. You take a deep breath. I volunteered to coordinate the Honors Arts event to begin the fall semester. I thought sidewalk chalk would be fun, right? We'd get to be outside, but it wouldn't be like sand sculpture where everyone is spending all their time shoveling. It would be totally casual, just a way to decompress. But nobody signed up! I had to beg everyone to come, and then I had to beg Lane and Alec to be judges. The only person who actually volunteered to help was Natalie, and she specifically wanted to be the hydration officer, and I should have guessed that something shady was going on. But I was so busy with the beginning of the semester and everything, I couldn't pay attention to anything. I completely forgot about prizes. I kept calling it a tournament, and I never once thought about prizes. I call it a tournament, but we have just six people actually participating. Then Jonathan tells me that Alec can't be a judge because he has this weird relationship with Jessica, so I have to coach Alec on what score he's allowed to give. Oh my gosh, if anyone finds out, they'll be so mad. The whole judging system is a complete farce. And then Xavier thinks it's cool to draw. He drew, it's porn, basically, on a public sidewalk. This is the honors program. And then Lane fainted. And I assumed she was just dehydrated, which would be bad enough. But everyone else starts at going all goofy. And I realize Natalie has made it her mission to ruin the sidewalk chop tournament because it wasn't already ruined enough. And I can't fix anything. There's no coming back from this. I'm a failure. You bury your face in your hands. Jack Skellington wraps his arms around you in an extremely uncomfortable hug. Then he says in a soft, warm voice, Let me tell you a story. I only have one option to listen to the story. He takes a deep breath. You must understand, I've been the Pumpkin King for a very, very long time. I've coordinated more Halloween productions than I can count. And if you will forgive a lapse in modesty, I've gotten very good at it. I grew so tired of Halloween of the same old thing every year, I wanted to try something different. So I presented my associates with a pitch for a new kind of project. Something none of us had ever attempted. Something completely new. Well, not exactly. I more or less copied someone else's idea, but it was new to us, and we were all so excited. We took it with twice the fervor of our Halloween preparations. We pulled out all the stops. We innovated, really innovated for the first time in years. And then the night came for us to put it all into action. It was a catastrophe. Our audience wasn't at all prepared for our avant-garde sensibility, and they responded incredibly poorly. Nobody could have predicted that things could go so horribly wrong. His face falls. That's not true. Sally told me it would be a disaster, and I refused to listen to her, but I don't think even Sally had any idea how bad it would get. They actually shot me out of the sky with a missile. It wasn't until I pulled myself out of the smoking wreckage that I realized how utterly I had failed. I felt just like you're feeling now. Suddenly, I was painfully aware of all the mistakes I had been blind to until that moment. All my hubris! I wanted to crawl into a hole and wither away. But something else occurred to me. I hadn't withered away quite yet. 
I was still Jack the Pumpkin King, and I had something I didn't have before. What was that? Why, my tragic, ruinous, monumental, calamitous failure, Hina. I had experienced failure on a level few could ever hope to recreate. And when I decided to make that disaster a part of me, instead of collapsing beneath it and admitting defeat, I was a new man. I was the Jack Skellington who had been shot out of the sky with a missile. And I was brimming with new ideas, let me tell you! The next Halloween was one for the record books. Of course, first I had to clean up the horrible mess I had made, but that became much easier after I accepted and internalized my horrible failure. So, based on my experience, he says at last, I think you're going to come out of this in fine form. You dab at your eyes with your shirt. So there's no more dialogue prompts. Well, we're done talking to Jack. We still can't get past the snake. If I go west... No, if I go east from... If I go east of Halloween Town, we're in the curling flower space. Go south. That's going to just be the demon. Uh, south. Uh, listen to Negahina. Now that you think about it, you notice a roaring in your... Oh, talk to Negahina. Ask about the places you've been. Ask about the coils of Ahigu. So there's this gigantic snake guy. Yeah, Ahigu, so freaking cool. Well, he won't let me get to the equipment. If I try to get past him, he'll venom me to death. Huh, Negahina strokes her chin. You know, Princess Hebron of Kaeldheim, mistress of the fortress of Kaeldheim, she wears a magic bracelet called Kulterbeg. The stone elves made it for her. It's supposed to grant its wearer immunity to poison. You remember all this. She shakes her head wearily. Last January, you and Jonathan were in the Honor Center, and he was telling you all about his novel where you were trying to study for an exam. You tried so hard to ignore him, but unfortunately your subconscious mind absorbed every frickin' detail. Did I retain anything for the exam? Nagahina shrugs. I don't know. I didn't pay attention to that stuff. But if you go back to Kaeldheim and get the bracelet, it might let you get past Ahigu. Well, last time I was there, I couldn't really observe or touch anything. Yeah, because you lacked perspective. You didn't have the context necessary to interpret what you were seeing. That's the value of conversations like these. Okay, never mind. Uh, and then stop talking to Negahina. Uh, go back anytime. Uh, so now we can go north. Now we can go west. Go west. Look. Realm. We're in the kingdom of Kaeldheim, and if you look at the realm, beneath you is the island of Kaeldheim. It's fearsome monsters and its bold warriors, its earls and peasants, its frost-encrusted cairns, and all of it divided neatly into hexagonal fiefdoms. You know it well, but right now, other worlds require your attention. Some distance south of Kaeldheim, in the void beyond the edge of the sun, the titan rests on his giant beam. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. We're supposed to be able to get the fortress of Sinlebrand. Princess Hebron of Kaeldheim, mistress of the fortress of Sinbrand. Okay. So if we look Sinbrand, it says that isn't here. If I type get bracelet, that isn't here. Or maybe it is. Okay. Uh, look Titan. The Titan is asleep. Unconscious? Comatose? Wake Titan. Jonathan is unresponsive. Anyway, you need to go take care of yourself before you can attend to him. Okay. So, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at these 
this conversation with Negahina. A Luther bag? Can I get a Luther bag? That isn't here. All right. So Jonathan's resting on the grass on his giant beam. We can't. I'm going to look at the walkthrough again because I have no idea how I'm supposed to handle this. Let's see. Here's the fortress of Seinbrand, home of the princess Hebron. Take her magic bracelet. What? I'm not sure how I'm supposed to get to Princess Hebron. Uh, oh, so I enter the realm of Kaeldheim. I have to type enter Kaeldheim or go down. Okay, that is not obvious. Enter Kaeldheim. You spent more than enough time down in Kaeldheim and your face is rubbed raw. Are you sure you want to go back? Yes. Then you descend again into that fog-ringed realm. An eternal winter's grass rests icy kale tame where you raised your blah, 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 blah. Okay, okay, okay. So, um, southeast, then southwest. Southeast, deep in Thicklewood stands the nine athingsic stones, snowclothed, unremembered by men. In the days of the frost wenches was a merriment danced round the henges. Weaving and warping did they dance to forge the braided glimmer of the crown of bronze. Um, and then we go southwest. The fortress Sinebrand is Hebron's home, fastness of stone, where wedding was made. Twixt she and Nagel, the sea sailor, murderer of Muldraid, on Hebron's arm rest Kultobeg, famed silver ring by stone elves wrought. She who wears that bracelet fears no poison, nor snake sting, nor spider bart, nor crane tongue. So if I take bracelet... Gladly does Princess Hebron bestow upon you the beloved bracelet Kultobeg and wishes you well in your future endeavors. So if I type up, do you wish to leave Kildahem? Yes. All right, then you fly away. All right, all right. So now we're outside Kildahem, and that... I would never have figured that out. Never in a million years. Um, so now we can go west. Oh, wait. You can only go north or east. So we can go north, which puts us around Paul 2012. North of that is the coils of Ahigu. And then we can go east. We get the message about how we are going to be struck with poison. Or do we have to wear wear a bracelet? You slip the heavy silver bracelet over your arm. Let's hope this works. Now I'll go east. What do you think you're doing? Don't you know what will happen if you disobey my commands? My coils wind tight around you. I sink my fangs into your neck. My venom fills your veins. You will not live to regret this mistake, Hina. No one will learn from your insolence. Your pathetic story ends here. Why are you still alive? The bracelet, Hulterberg? It can't be. Where? How could you? Oh, forget it. I know what I'm beat. Just get out of here. Now we're in the Hall of Judgment. A few feeble fluorescent lamps illuminate this stretch of the tunnel. Further east and west, the lights are out, and the hallway stretches into darkness. Lane's unconscious body is stretched out on the dingy, tiled floor. This is your fault, she says. All right, we're just going to go east. As you walk by, Lane's body grabs your ankle. Not so fast, Tina. Her voice is really creaky. We need to have a conversation. You lean down to look at her. Her eyes are still closed. Are you okay? I'm so sorry, or I'll be right back. We're going to pick, are you okay? You put your hand on her forehead. Are you okay? Lane's face grimaces. Not really. Actually, I'm in pretty bad shape. You've got a lot to answer for. I know, but right now I need to get... No, right now is when you're going to answer some questions. 
First off, why didn't you call an ambulance as soon as I fainted? Options are, I thought I could handle everything myself. I thought Lane was de just dehydrated and it was my responsibility. Uh, I'm gonna go with two. I thought you were just dehydrated. I couldn't have known that Natalie spiked the water bottles. Couldn't you? Did you not notice everyone acting goofy? I did, just uh, not until it was too late. At the moment when you fainted, at least, I thought all your symptoms were consistent with dehydration. Well, maybe what we're learning here is that being pre-med doesn't make you a diagnostic expert. You bristle, but you don't want to push Lane's body any further. I guess not. All right, next question. Why on earth did you trust Natalie to be the hydration officer? Options are she deserved a second chance, I didn't think she would retaliate like this, and I was desperate. I didn't think she would retaliate like this. This is crazy. There's no way I could have predicted she would dose everybody, but you knew she was angry at you. You knew she was an unstable nut job. No, I didn't. I don't go through life assuming the worst of people. Well, maybe you should. You squint at Lane's unconscious body. Hold on. Do you represent a part of my personality that's terrible? I'm asking the questions here. Why did you tell Alec to erase Xavier's artwork? Options are, what does it have to do with anything? Because you fainted and because of the boobs. Ah, I'm gonna go with what does it have to do with anything? What does it have to do with anything? That didn't happen until after you fainted. It speaks to your fitness as a sidewalk chalk event organizer. I don't have to justify myself to you. Xavier's drawing was totally inappropriate for an honor-sponsored event, not to mention inappropriate for public sidewalks in general. It was my call to make, and I did exactly what a good sidewalk chalk event organizer would do. Okay, well, you just did. Uh, ju just did what? You just justified yourself to me. Fine, do you have any other questions? Lane's face scowls. No, you're free to go. You stand up and wipe the dust from the floor off your butt. All right. Finally, we're going to go east and get that water. It says desert. Everything is sand. Sand dunes roll over the planet, shimmering in impossible heat. Yellow sand crusts over your sweaty skin. Sand is in your teeth. Sand is in your eyes. You want to scream. A gleaming pillar of brass juts out of the sand. So we're going to turn on faucet. And I hope I'm spelling faucet properly. You raise the key over its slot. Something slams into your back, and you fall on your face in the sand. No, no, not yet, a voice bellows. Natalie. We still have some psychic baggage to unpack. We can't move forward as human beings if you get all sobered up. You roll onto your side to spit up a mouthful of sand. Natalie chuckles, and the world shakes. Okay, so now we're fighting Natalie to turn on the water? Let's try turn on faucet another time. You climb to your knees and grow up the spigot. Stop that, Natalie whines, shoving you back into the sand. We're having a spiritual journey. All right, well, I'll do it again. Turn on faucet. You try to pull yourself up onto your elbows, but Natalie plants her foot on your back and pushes you down. Talk to Natalie. You twist your body and try to face her. You open your mouth. Natalie smiles patiently. Do you want... You eventually manage. Hina... I want you to grow as a person. I want you to understand how unbearable you are, how miserable you make everybody because of your pathological need to be in control. I'm not... Uh, you can't finish the thought. Oh, you will be, she says, once you've finished broadening your perspective. Do you need another bottle of water? You shake your head. All right, let's try turn on faucet. 
You raise a hand towards the spigot. Natalie kicks it away. You yell. All right, let's try to talk to Natalie. Let me, you gasp. Let you what? I need you the key. Oh, I get what you mean, Natalie nods. Yeah, I can't let you do that. You're on the precipice of self-actualization. You just have to power through it until you understand what a pathetic little jerk you've been. All right, let's try. Turn on faucet. Natalie grabs your head in both hands. What aren't you getting, she grunts. Turn on faucet. You raise a hand toward the spigot. Natalie kicks it away. You yelp. Oh, okay, so it looks like it's a random... Let's talk to Natalie. All you can do is gasp for air. I wish I could see what you're seeing, Natalie muses. I've developed so much tolerance, I'm not really feeling anything at all. Let's talk to Natalie. You don't have the energy to provoke any more of Natalie's nonsense. All right, let's try turning on the faucet. Natalie grabs your head in both hands. What aren't you getting? She grunts. All right, so we can't talk to Natalie. We can't turn on the faucet. I don't know what what I would do at this point. Um, if I look, yeah. So I can't turn on the the the. the there's the faucet, and there's Natalie, and those are the only things in this room, and I can't interact with either of them meaningfully. Let's check the walkthrough. Uh, you can use the command help. Okay, let's try help. Don't worry, sweetie. I'm here. Yeah, it's me, Negahina, your buddy, and we're going to take this witch down together. I guess we don't have a lot to work with, but take a look around. See if there's anything you can use, and if you can't figure it out right away, just keep asking me for help, I guess. Get pillar. The pillar of brass is all we can see. The pillar is stuck firmly in the side of the shed. No, it's stuck deep in the desert sands. What shed? Okay, so we're sort of flickering back and forth between hallucination world and reality world. So... Oh, let's type help again. As I read the situation, we can't do anything to Natalie directly, and we can't do anything with the spigot as much as I'd like to yank it out of the ground and smack her around with it, so that leaves the sand. Natalie's favorite freaking medium. <gasps> Throw sand. You grab a handful of sand. Your arms are like jelly. You don't have the strength. A futile moan is all you can muster. Natalie leans down to look at you. What did you just say? Are you breaking through your preconceptions? Are you having a eureka moment? She brings her face close to yours, searching for a sign of a breakthrough. Now she's close enough. You throw the sand into her eyes. Natalie shrieks and falls backward, clawing at her face. Eventually, her screams become a series of expletives that do not bear detailed transcription. All right, you can handle things on your own from here. This has been Negahina signing off. All right, all right. So we're going to turn on faucet. You wrap your fingers around the spigot and pull yourself up. Your arms are so weak. Your mouth is so dry. It takes both hands to get the key into its slot on top of the spigot. You turn the key. Water spurts out of the spigot, clear, pure water flowing into the sand, splashing all over your hands and your arms and your clothes. So I'm going to drink water. You stick your face beneath the spigot and let the water fall into your mouth. It's not cold, but it's not as hot as everything else. It tastes amazing. When you can't drink anymore, you fall back into the sand. The desert has shrunk. And there's a shed here that wasn't there before. No, you tell yourself, the shed was always there. The desert isn't even a desert. It's just a pit of sand where Natalie, a normal-sized person, is rubbing her eyes and crying a little. Finally, you begin to think clearly. The end.